This podcast is intended for listeners that are 18 years or older. Explicit language, sensitive content, and views that are objectionable to some listeners may be present in the podcast. As such, listener discretion is strongly advised. Please read our podcast terms and conditions before listening to Up the Rabbit Hole. Welcome to the main voyage of Up the Rabbit Hole with Dr. Corey Harushka, sex therapist, and I have Brandy Ann's here too. So Brandy, so you want to tell us a little, a little bit about, yeah. Uh, sure. My name is Brandy Ann's and I am a provisional registered psychologist and uh, working on my sex therapy certification. Through ASAC. Through ASAC, is, you bet. Which is the American Association for Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. Yes, yes. <laughs> which yes, is it governing, is. Which doesn't mean governing body for... for good trained sex therapist. That's right. Uh, so maybe a little bit about me. So who am I? Like, why am I doing this? Uh, so again, um, Corey Hrushka. So as a, I'm a certified diplomat of sex therapy, sex therapy supervisor. So what I do is not only am I a psychologist, but I've been um, trained as a sex therapist and a supervisor for training sex therapists in this area. And I've been doing this for <laughs> a few eons, it feels like sometimes. Um, probably 25, 27 years kind of working in this area. So as we do this, you know, I'm sure I'm going to learn a whole bunch of new things along the way too. So on we go. Um, so we've started this podcast originally because we had a whole bunch of questions that were brought forward to us from our Ask a Therapist website blog. And so from that dynamic, a lot of those questions turned out to actually be regarding sexuality. And so we decided to create this podcast to help educate and teach individuals about kind of all these areas that they had questions about. I guess the first question is, why up the rabbit hole? Well, originally up the rabbit hole um, was called down the rabbit hole. And so the problem is with down the rabbit hole, it usually means going down into something troubling, surreal, um, or even chaotic and complex. And, and we've decided to actually reverse it because as we come into more enlightenment and understanding this, we decided to up the rabbit hole and it also gives another double entendre, if you know what that one is. If not, go <laughs> check it out on the internet. Brandy, any, any other thoughts you'd like to add to that? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is an excellent way to um, increase our ability to reach other people who either don't have the ability to come in or too embarrassed to come in and just want to stay anonymous so this information can still get out to them with something that uh, they feel comfortable with. So normally I guess we're going to start off with our joke of the day and so I was remembering one way back when I was actually a little kid and so you want to hear this one are you prepared for it? I am so ready for this yes bring it on. I hope I don't get the cattle industry into this one but this one's so what do you call a herd of masturbating cattle? I have no idea. Beef stroking off. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, that was that was probably the most memorable childhood <laughs> joke that I probably remembered it when I, I like, was twelve. That's a good one to share. I like it. So yeah, so we'll do that one. So today we're talking about kind of loss of indis- loss of intimacy, or you know, when then intimacy starts to go down the drain and some of the effects and and the impacts that that can have on a relationship. Right. So I guess before we start, I guess maybe we should talk about like what is intimacy, and so. The definition of intimacy from a general perspective would be that closeness, bonding, or connectedness that that a lot of couples may lose or decrease. And it usually looks like cuddling, kissing, holding hands, connecting, talking, those kind of components. Anything you'd like to add to that one in terms of? 
Uh, no, just, you know, intimacy is, is different for different people, but just like you said, that just the small things can lead to the big things. It's not always just about sex, but about the, the touches, the kisses, the flicks, the that connection, that connect that, that yeah, the mental and the physical connection between mm -hmm. two people. You bet. So we have one of our producers in today. So I'd like to ask you, Gavin, as a male in your twenties, how would you define intimacy? Um, intimacy, hey? You know, I feel that intimacy isn't something that's necessarily attached to a male in their 20s as often as other demographics. I don't hear most of my guys talk about intimacy in their relationships. <laughs> but, I don't know, if I guess I had to think about it, I feel like it's just almost everything surrounding a relationship, which would be like the sex, the, I guess, like cuddling, holding hands, anything that kind of like shows emotion towards each other. Um, as... A female in your twenties. What's uh, what's your opinion on intimacy? Oh, well, look, well, you look so young. You know, I really wish I was a female in my twenties. However, I am a female in my forties. But thanks for that. Um, I think intimacy. He's just buttering you up. That's right. That's right. But I do think intimacy looks a little bit different. So not only is it, as you said, the cuddling, the kissing, the hugs, the actual sex, but it's also that mental connection. Um, when you have that mental connection with somebody, intimacy, it just increases everything, but it, it is still an intimacy. You want to be able to have that, that mental connection with somebody that heightens every part of the relationship as well, which is important for me. Awesome. Corey, what do you think? To ask me what intimacy is, I, it's, it's me teaching. So intimacy is that closest bond and connectedness stuff. And I think because I've done it so often, that's kind of almost how I think. And I think my brain has been trained to really pull those apart as intimacy is intimacy, sex is sex, and sometimes they can go together and sometimes they don't. And, you know, you can have just sex, you can have just intimacy, and, you know, all that fun stuff is kind of all just part of the big package. If you took the professional out of it, though, Corey, would it look different for you? I don't, I don't think I can, because I think one of the, one of the things of being a, a, like a trained therapist or even a sex therapist, because you, you gather so much information, you read and think and, and you know, you hear so many different perspectives on sex and intimacy and you kind of gather all of that. For me to take that out of it is, it's almost like saying is take, you know, 49 years or 40 years of my life out of me in terms of my understanding about things and try to not see things that, I, that have been, you know, impacted my, my growth and development over time. So it's, I don't think I, I don't, like, I wouldn't even know what intimacy is if I'm looking at me as a, you know, my 20 year old kid, you get to talk, you know, my you know, adult at that point, technically, I'm like, I think I was quite clueless as a, as a young adult, even in terms of the nuances of relationships. And, you know, the, my job has actually trained me quite well um, to understand those nuances and differences because I was, yeah. But those are thinking. What if you just were, went on a feeling base? I've always been pretty much a thinky kind of kid. <clears throat> so if I just went on the feely, I wouldn't have had any words to talk about it. So he said, hey, what are you doing? I was like, I don't know. I'm just, there's stuff going on inside me, but I don't really know the what the words to it. it. Right. Fair enough. So that's, that would be, yeah. Now I have words to be able to understand it and explain it and communicate about it where I really, well, I wouldn't say I had that when I was even dating in, in, in my 20s. So vastly <laughs> different between 20s, 40s, and 50s, really. And I think it also depends on your job. Like I said, you know, I could say it's our job, my job. You know, it's like 
you're really looking at those nuances and really spending a lot of time to, to understand things. Whereas most people are just, Hey, we're, I'm in a relationship. It's all, you know, let's just kind of follow it and see where it goes. It's like, no, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about all the nuances and what, you know, cause that's what my brain has been trained to do to help people right. work through those issues that they can't see. So we do have some questions from our listeners today. The first question we got says, I've been living with someone for six years. He provides for me and our children, but he ignores me and has little time for us. Any chance he gets, he hangs out with his friends. I've had enough and I don't know what to do. We have not gone out in a year. Should I stay or should I leave? So I think, I mean, that's that's quite a complex question. It's broad. Um, just because there could be so many circumstances um, that you might want to look at. And, you know, that, that black or white or should I stay or should I leave, normally if you're going to make a good decision, you want to be able to have enough information. And I say the first thing that came to my mind with this has nothing really to do with the relationship or the sex. It's about security. So if you have your kids and you and you're looking for security and that's what you need and you're out in the middle of nowhere and you don't have any other resources, it makes sense to stay in a comfortable relationship that might not actually be the happiest until you kind of either work on it or see if you can do something about it. We're missing a lot of background, I think. Now, I think one of the things that is quite common is over time, um, relationships do tend to stagnate in a lot of times. And I think a good author who has talked about this would be Esther Perel, uh, Mating in Captivity, who kind of talks a little bit about what happens in relationships. In the beginning of relationships, normally you're going to have what's called limerence. And limerence is that kind of infatuated feeling where you're kind of fall in love and everything's just wonderful and you don't see any of the flaws. And then it takes typically anywhere about two months to two to three years for that limerence to dissipate or kind of fall away as that as as or as hormones and the chemicals start to kind of just cool down that oxytocin surge. And so what happens over time is com people get comfortable in their relationships and they also get lazy in their relationships. And then they expect it to just stay at that nice warm high and that with that excitement range. And so what happens over time is people just don't invest that same level of energy into their relationship and it starts to just kind of fade away. And so sometimes it needs a little bit of a, a boost or a kickstart to be able to kind of play with that. Well, 100% agreed. And I think a lot of people get mixed up and don't really understand the difference between limerence and love, mm -hmm. which and, are two vastly different things. And even the, the whole, technically there's a whole bunch of stuff written on love too. The Greeks have written that, you know, in terms of the agape love, the, you know, there's different types of love, even within that term of love, and which is also different than being in love and love. <laughs> and so, you know, I guess we could probably have a whole talk on love as a whole section in itself anyway, which I guess is going to be a good plan for whatever future <laughs> sessions all I see. Totally agreed with that. Yeah. But I do think that people do need to understand the difference between limerence and love. And I'm really glad that you brought that up, actually. Um, You're welcome. They, yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> because as you said, limerence is that really almost like that obsessive type of you see nothing wrong. Everything is great. But love is really the acceptance of the other person. And limerence is they can do nothing wrong. And people don't differentiate when they first get into relationship with people and then think that, well, the love is gone when in fact they were in limerence as opposed to in love with the other person. And uh, it, I have a question. Mm -hmm. Is limerence the honeymoon phase? Would they be hand in hand? Well, it, it, it depends. It could be, I would say. So, cause limerence would be that infatuated stage. And lots of times when they get into the honeymoon phase, 
they're still in that high level of novelty of a relationship once they've gotten married, because most people usually don't get married in two months to two to three years, maybe in that two to three year period of time. But once you move to a new house and you're in that honeymoon phase, then you're now nesting and you're growing and you're still getting all this excitement of growth and new stuff. And then, but then normalcy comes in and you get back into your day ritual, the schedule, going to work, coming home, doing all that stuff. And then it becomes more routine and boring. So there's, it's partly, I think, some of that honeymoon component, but it's also like technically the limerence is, is a hormonal response. So it's that oxytocin surge. There's this chemical cocktail that runs in the beginning. That's that electricity that people feel in that beginning of a, of a new relationship. And that starts to fizzle over a period of time, which whereas the honeymoon phase, it's kind of like, it's part of it, but it's more like a belief system attached to kind of where everything's going to be wonderful. We know we now bought our new house and we're all married and everything's going to be great. And then the reality sets in because it's slightly different. But the hormones change too between limerence love. Mm -hmm. Love is more the serotonin, is it not? Well, that'll be for another topic. So otherwise, okay. let's save, save, let's save that save those it. goodies for the save for the, the, All right. the next episode okay. when we're talking about love. Got it. Do so I... should I stay or should I leave? Great question. But I think you need to. I think what she needs to do is to go out and really explore what that relationship is, has, what she wants it to be, requiring opening up of some communication, asking some questions looking at what the, the future plans and goals might be within that so that she can make a well-informed decision. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Brandy, you got our other question from the audience that uh, people want to know some stuff about? I do. I've got a great question from our listeners, and it goes, Hello, my husband and I have been married for 12 years. Now, after 15 years together and two kids later, we have sex once a week or once every two weeks. I am wanting sex a lot more with him. They're both 37. We love one another and still find each other very attractive. So should I be worried? Am I overreacting and thinking once a week or every two weeks is too little sex? I think my first question from that is, you know, that that thinking. So as soon as she meant that, you know, is she thinking it's once or twice a week or even once or twice every two weeks is too little that sounds like she has a predisposed or pre a belief system that's attached to I must have sex once a week. If I'm looking at the stats, you know, what the typical person in that age category, that's not out of, of the stats normalness from that perspective. But I guess my big question is if it's, you know, if she has a higher sex drive and she's wanting it, then I want to know how come? Is there a particular reason? I have some individuals that come into session who go, we must have sex at least daily because that's what we're supposed to do. And even if I don't want to do it, that means we're in trouble if it doesn't. Even And so there's that mindset of what you think should be normal versus what you actually want to do. And, and so I think it's important to distinguish the difference between, you know, following what you think should be happening versus what the relationship is willing to tolerate, accept and, and negotiate. Right, but it also could be she's getting closer to that 40 age mark, which we both understand estrogen levels are going to start to decrease, testosterone levels are going to start to increase or show itself more, which is going to be, you know, causing more of a sex drive in her than perhaps in him. 
And I mean, if he's 37, I mean, he's hitting just the beginning of, of testosterone when it starts to drop, but my hunch is it wouldn't be too significant with him. I'm going to look up more as probably those two kids are probably causing more of the issue in terms of the sex drive because depending on the age, those kids, if they've been married 12 years, the kids are probably in their young teens or early and they're probably involved in a bunch of acti activities or around and so that that family mindset typically will kill sex drive for particularly the first five years of, of young children. So it all depends on when they decide to have kids. So that's also another common pattern you'll see is from you know, birth to about five to seven is when sex drive or and sex frequently, frequently drops down just due to having to take care of children, family, all, the, all those complexities as well. Never mind kind of what we talked about earlier, which is just a natural slowing down of sex drive as relationships go on if they don't actively stoke that fire and work on on the passion and the sexuality component right i also think we need to really take our pandemic situation into consideration the reality is you know this has caused a lot of stress for a lot of people whether people have been laid off work or they're now with each other all the time in the house which creates a completely different dynamic that people are not used to they might be homeschooling their children which looks completely different so you know the pandemic is really really created almost like a pressure cooker type of situation a lot of people are struggling with. So that could also be, you know, part of the reason for the decreased sex as well. Maybe so, creating less stress in the relationship. Yeah, and so there's lots of, I mean, whenever we're looking at sexuality as a, a, as a factor, I think it's always important to look at, it, it sounds like it's a nice simple formula. Oh, just, hey, sex drive and that's it. But really it's actually quite complex in the number of factors that can influence um, kind of sex, sex drive, um, both individually and relationally. And that's including, you know, any of the biological factors, the relational factors, the environmental factors, and even your own psychological factors if you have history of, of trauma, any, any you know, conflict, uh, abuse, any of those historical things can all impact your drive, how, why you're having sex, the frequency of your having sex, what's going on in the relationship at the time. You know, what your kids are doing, it's, you know, all that fun stuff. Right, and I, I really like what you said about, you know, I don't think people should be comparing, should I be having more sex? Is that what society is telling us? I mean, it can be, society me really suppressive and a little bit archaic. It's really what it's going to work for the couple. Careful on keeping up with the Joneses in regards to that, because sometimes you can actually develop resentment yeah. if you're either following the Joneses and you don't want to, or you're forcing someone else to do that. And again, this it comes back to the original uh, concept of making sure we're getting that communication on the table to find out either what's going on, if anything's going on, and or what we want to do to rekindle that, yeah. uh, that romance or the relationship or the sexuality, because it's it can be rekindled and it's it's actually not too hard for most people. Yeah. It just requires a little bit of kickstart, you know, to the old coals that it might have cooled down. Yeah, no, agreed. I think that's an, an excellent, excellent way to look at things. So we do have a third question. Go! Shoot. Okay. Uh, my wife, over the past year or so, has been totally disinterested in having sex with me or doing anything sexual in nature. She has extreme anxiety over it and says it really hurts when we do have sex. What can I do to help our situation? She feels really bad about it, and I don't want her to feel that way. I think my, my first thought on this would be I want to check that biology. So what's happened in that last year that things have changed according to the question? 
And if it's painful, then it sounds like something has either happened or there could be some biological stuff going on. So you, there can be, um, I would encourage her to check out with her uh, physician GP um, or urologist or gynecologist to just to make sure that there has nothing changed down there at all. Um, there could be cysts or fibroids or any kind of those health issues that could be causing pain. Um, the more common pattern I would see is what's called vaginismus. And that's where you have kind of an unpleasant experience and then your body basically, uh, your vulva vagina clamps up because it gets tense and it learns to do that. And from that point on, it becomes painful, even if it doesn't fully clamp up and those muscles are really strong. Yeah. And so it, it's a fully, it's a psychological based issue, but it is quite treatable. Um, and, and it's pretty fast, but most people feel very self-conscious when they're kind of addressing this because they think something's wrong with them. It's like, it's just a natural body reaction to probably that circumstance that might have happened. No, agreed. I think we also need to look at, you know, look at the anxiety. A, where is it coming from? When did it start? How, what does this anxiety look like? Is it just, I don't want to have sex? Is it affecting other things in the relationship? It could also be a lubrication issue. Yeah, and that could, have been, going on? that could have been that, that start. And the anxiety could be a natural reaction to uh, anticipatory anxiety where yeah. you're already fearing the pain that might occur and therefore you're going to be anxious even though you might want to be involved with your partner. It this sets in motion this self-fulfilling prophecy, anticipatory anxiety and, and cycling over and over in that process. I think one thing that people need to remember you can have you know penetrative sex and intercourse but there's also outer sex that you can have that doesn't need to be genital to genital that is still fulfilling, can be really erotic and enjoyable for both partners. I've called it occurred outer course. Yes. Is that not what I said? <laughs> outer, outer sex. Yeah. Oh, outer course. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, that does. that is a possibility that people need to really consider. And we need to start considering sex in more than just the typical way that people think about sex. It's really... A buffet of a whole bunch of different totally types is. of things. And different options. spices and different... <laughs> 100%. And so sometimes we really need to consider what that looks like. And we need to change uh, perhaps our way of thinking about what sex actually is. It, it, that's my favorite metaphor that I use with clients is the, the buffet okay. of food. Because food and sex are very similar in terms of those pleasure responses to the brain. Except sex is actually higher. And so when we're looking at that, because it allows us to look at the full buffets of all, there's infinite number of things that people like and can do. And, you know, if you stick to kind of one particular activity because you think that's what you should be doing, I expect you to get bored. So there's a little bit of that intimacy component that's important with that as well as the relationship, as well as a bit of novelty and, and dynamics to help keep kind of your, your sexual palate um, kind of refined and kind of experiencing new things. I agree with that. There's actually a really interesting book that talks a little bit about the outer course called The Ethical Slut. Well, I mean, yeah, that goes into a whole other dynamic of that poly lifestyle too. And so she's a good writer, Dossie, there. So, yeah. Yes, but it really, it kind of hones in. There are parts of the book that really hone in on what outer course looks like as opposed to just straight intercourse mm -hmm. and because that, that, that also says you know what happens if you're not in a straight relationship or you're you know bye bye curious or and so or you don't yeah. have all the parts and therefore uh, what do you do I mean there's lots of options in this process 100% so we do have one last question shoot um, your question from our listener we are in our mid 50s and have been dating since January he has a history of casual sex with many women in April, he started talking about becoming exclusive. 
He asked me to give him until July, until July, pardon me, to wrap up loose ends, which he did. Until then, he waited until, so, no, sorry, until then, he wanted to wait on sex. In July, he had major surgery. Now, he's decided it's not godly to be intimate. We still have not been intimate. I am angry, frustrated, rejected, and resentful. I was not consulted and feel I am in an no-win situation. How do I address this, and how can I communicate my feelings? That, that, that totally sucks. It sounds like a really frustrating circumstance for her does, to be going through, it? especially since it sounds like the rules have changed for her. And, and so my, I guess my first question to her would be like, wow, what happened? What, what changed? You know, it sounds almost like he's come into a kind of a, maybe a religious or spiritual belief change that has kind of facilitated him wanting to be non-sexual or not, not, you know, um, and I guess the intimacy back is, you know, he might have said intimacy, so does that mean sex? Or is he, you know, hey, we can't cuddle and we can't hold hands and it's no longer godly and it's become very restrictive. So I'm curious really what's going on in his background or what happened, maybe about what, what kind of surgery happened too. So there, <laughs> I, don't, a, I don't want to say a lobotomy happened, but... <laughs> but... But there's a lot going into this question. And again, similar to question one, there, we don't have a lot of background and it's really hard to... I mean, we can take jabs at what we think might be going on, but we don't have a full background on this. So, again, what does intimacy look like? And, right. and, and I think the important part is here is even if we don't have a lot of information, then we can still give, you know, our readers or our audience um, kind of some guidance on what, what would we do in this circumstance. And I think the first thing that comes to my mind is, wow, we need a whole bunch of questions because she's definitely frustrated. She's mm -hmm. definitely the rules of change in the relationship. Um, you know, the relationship hasn't been, you know, too long, technically, I guess, you know, it's been a few months now, eight months, but that's still, that's a decent amount of time to invest into a relationship. And with the rules changing, um, it's now getting on the table. What, what are her requirements and what are she looking for in the relationship? Because if he's changed the terms, then this relationship might not, no longer be for her. And she might have to look at saying as the terms are no longer acceptable, or reasonable for what she's looking for in a relationship and then she now has to kind of you know say goodbye well she may need to evaluate her wants and needs in relationships so her needs being kind of her non-negotiables when it comes to relationship and her wants being the things that can be negotiable so what does that look like for her because ultimately i think for him it is his full right to be able to change those rules and you know if, if he is agreed or you know wants to view that you know it's not godly to be intimate you know, it's not my responsibility to say whether it's godly or not, but again, he's entitled to that change, entitled to that viewpoint. Um, I might not support that to say as, uh, I'm not the spiritual expert on here, but, you know, if we're looking at a relationship, then we're going to go down that rabbit hole. So, uh, but, it, but it's still his right to be able to do that. And this is about informed consent. And so we don't want to push him in to say, hey, you said we need to have this now when now we're moving into that same, those consensual roles. Yes, but I would also suggest communication about this is super, super important. You bet. He does have the right to change his mind. Got to find out what's going on. Everyone does, but he also, I think it's very important to be able to communicate that with the person that he's with and give her reasons why he has had this change of heart. You bet, and that's that, that transparency. Because I think one thing that I do see a lot in, in sessions is where people get into a relationship 
and they say, yes, I'm going to give you everything you want, and then we're going to get married, and as soon as we get married, they say, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. And now we have what's called like almost like a breach of contract where you, you went in knowing <laughs> that you were going to shut that down and change the rules. And now that's, that's kind of really unfair to that person. If it naturally starts to happen, normally I'm going to see that good, healthy, open communication of people going, hey, something's going on here and like uh, maybe I've had a new thing. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a right that someone can say is I'm no longer wanting to be in this relationship if these rules have changed and they're not acceptable to me. And I think that's an important thing to let uh, people know that, you know, I guess, you know, not from a religious lens, but from a psychological or health relationship lenses, relationships will change and they'll morph and they'll do these, you know, back and forth and ups and downs, no pun intended. And, um, and it's important to kind of look at that and navigate that as you go forward. And sometimes it might not be good for you and it's okay to grow out of a relationship if they're not keeping up with you. Agreed. I'm glad you brought up breach um, of contract because it can also be taken as a breach of trust. Mm -hmm. She had trusted that this gentleman was going to wrap up his loose ends, have surgery, and everything was going to be a-okay, and this may have just breached her trust. And that's a huge problem when it comes in relationships because then how do you gain that trust back? And it's going to take some time to rebuild that one given that lack of transparency on his part, it sounds. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so let's let's kind of close off with maybe some take-homes of some of the stuff that we've talked about. Great idea. So what, what things did you get from this, Brandy? What are some of the take-homes you want to let the audience know? Uh, I think first and foremost is that we need to really understand what intimacy is. Because it's broad. And when you lose that intimacy, that's not just losing sex. It's losing a whole bunch of different things. Communication, the snuggles, the kisses, the hugs. Intimacy is not just... Not just sex. So be aware that sex and intimacy are different and yeah. make sure we call it what it actually is so that we can really be clear in our communication. Okay, that's awesome one. Agreed. Uh, communication is really, really important. Which you, means? People need to ask for what they want. It doesn't matter. Men, women, transgender, binary, non-binary, cis people, they need to be able to ask for what they want. Now, telling people what you want looks vastly different, but being able to go to your partner or partners and request, this is what I am needing, are you able to provide that? So it's always okay to ask questions and ask for what you want, and it's yeah. also okay for them to say no. Yes. <laughs> and that's kind of that that process is of informed consent. Yes, but the, of course, that's of course when communication comes in as well. Yes, yes. What are your takeaways? Uh, the, the other two takeaways that I'm thinking about is uh, my, my metaphor of the buffet. Sexuality and sensuality is like the giant buffet. There are so many different things out there and you might not even know what you like and the only way you're really going to go find out is if you kind of go to the buffet and taste a little bit of the different components. Mm -hmm. um, and that if you if you just stick with one kind of food, your pepperoni pizzas every day, then I expect you to kind of get bored. Unless you are, some, and I have some clients who are very pepperoni pizza regarding sex. It's, that's the way I like it. That's the kind of the routine. I don't want to change it. And it's very kind of, you know, in that process. And that's fine for them too. So Our it's just every, everyone, yeah, everyone likes different kind of things. Yeah. And then um, make sure you gather that information. And so gathering information for me is probably the most crucial component of working as a sex therapist is if I don't understand something, it usually means I didn't ask enough questions or get enough information to help me give that good information, whether it be from a biological lens, psychological lens, or relational or environmental lens. Those are all the factors that I want to be able to include in anything that I'm going to kind of go with a direction on. Good things to remember. 
So yeah, so we'll see you guys next round and uh, thanks for listening. Thank you so much.